0: This is Pixelated Audio, episode 129, and you're listening to KGB.
1: Beware, Max, your naive enthusiasm. You are running with a pack of wolves who will do anything to keep what they have stolen from the people of Russia. When you get into trouble, and believe me, you will get into trouble, think of me. Imagine what I, with my legendary intuition, would have done to solve the problem. My intuition. You see me now, Max, as I live on in your memory before your mother and I were blown to pieces in that booby-trapped car. So much for my intuition, huh? One last thing buried somewhere beneath all the corruption. He's an ideal that many millions of honest people believed in. They may be fools, but they deserve the truth. Find it for them, Max.
0: All right, you're listening to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We're your hosts. I'm Gene, and this is Brian, and we've got a fun show today.
2: Yes, today we are going to be listening to music from KGB, a point-and-click adventure for both IBM PCs on DOS and the Commodore Amiga. It was primarily composed by Stefan Peek with the Amiga conversion done by Alexander Ekian uh that clip that brought us in <laughs> so we didn't <laughs> we did the track cuz um it was just you know this game doesn't have a lot of music there's only a few tracks in here they're uh, very long tracks but there's only long a few tracks. of them yeah so we <laughs> yeah. got plenty of music um but <laughs> we just, we had to start with that cuz it's it's your father speaking to you kind of in the intro of the game he's kind of giving you his uh his um I guess fatherly advice on on what to do from his uh, I guess from his like ghostly past or something. Yeah, from the great beyond. <laughs> yes, yes. It's such a, I love the whole blown to bits in, from a booby trap car part, but uh, a
0: <laughs> bit of a weird take on talking to you from after his death, but you know, it's
2: fine. Yeah. <laughs> Donald did, Sutherland puts in a good performance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How they got him to do this game, I'm not sure, but uh, <sighs> yeah, you know, the yeah. more I hear that clip, the more I'm like, yeah, I dig it. I dig it. There's a little bit of parts in there that I can't tell if it's he's being sarcastic or it's like it's his acting or he kind of slips out of character if he's (laughs) (laughs) not quite sure.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we had to listen to it a lot. And I agree with you. I started to get really fond of it and I wanted to make sure we kept it
2: in. (laughs) Yeah. So, Gene, you have been asking uh, us to cover KGB for a long time. I mean, I I was never going to say no. The soundtrack is great. Um, Love the artist. I think we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. What made you, what grabbed you about this soundtrack? Well, I've got a reputation to uphold,
0: you know, as the uh, the, the Russian
2: host. The, the on The token rush guy. <laughs> the token no, Russian guy.
0: Well, part of it was that because I actually had never heard of this game growing up, like, at all. I was pretty familiar with a lot of DOS games growing up. I, I knew about Dune. I never
2: played it, but... And I played Dune, so this was, like, I guess my blind side as well, my blind so, spot.
0: The the reason why I picked this one is, number one, it lives in the shadow of Dune, which also has an amazing soundtrack by Stefan Peek. And when I discovered his music either through Dune or Lost Eden, I went back and started listening to everything else that he had done. And, you know, if you go on YouTube, you'll see that this has a lot of listens. But it's not a game that gets talked about a whole lot, either as a game or or as a soundtrack. But it's definitely worth listening to, and I wanted to cover it. And I feel like we could make a relatively
2: lightweight, fun show out of it the topic in general is is pretty interesting. There's not a whole lot of games that follow this kind of storyline and this kind of background. And that's a lot of it has to do with um, the developer and um, you know, some, some choices that were put into uh, making this game and some of the ideas to make it something that they thought maybe at the time would be successful. Now, whether or not it was uh, is kind of up for debate. And I think the debate is mostly leaning on the, it wasn't side, but uh, (laughs) I think there's, I think there's some good in this game, some, some fun in it. So Let's jump right in. You know, KGB is a point and click adventure. I mentioned that before. That takes place in Russia, or rather the USSR. Some of us will remember when it was called that, uh, in the summer of 1991, shortly before the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Again, it came out for DOS and Amiga in 1992, and it was published by Virgin Games and developed by Cryo Interactive Entertainment.
0: And we're going to talk about them in a bit, but let's first jump into some music. The track that we're going to start with is Bureaucrat, composed by Stefan Peek, and we're mostly going to be focusing on the OPL2, or ad-lib version of the soundtrack.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That was the OPL2 version of "Bureaucrat," composed by Stefan Peak for KGB on the IBM PC.
0: I feel like that track has a very suspicious
2: energy. Like, well, I mean, the game is all about <laughs> kind of espionage, internal conflict, and so I think uh, it does a really good job at alluding to the the mystery that surrounds the uh, internals or the the corruption inside the kgb and so uh i think uh peak really hit the nail on the head here with um having this kind of dark and like uh almost like um it's very it's a t- it's kind of a tension
0: that's not like uncomfortable well, it's uncomfortable but it's more like what's going to happen it feels right, a little, right, like like yeah. uh
2: spy kind of games to me like almost like um i don't know keeping you at the edge of your seat just waiting for that next thing the guy to just pop out and you know there's a lot of cool little effects
0: once he establishes the groove in this track and that's pretty consistent throughout the soundtrack and i just love all of
2: the little just clever programming right Uh, you know i don't want to get too much into the opl2 on this episode because we want to keep it light there's not a ton of uh, uh of tracks um but real quick, it's a two-operator uh, mono-FM synthesis chip, also known as the YM3812. It's the second in the line of the FM operator type L line. It's got nine channels or nine voices that it can play simultaneously. Each has its own ADSR envelope generator. And um, there is a percussion mode that you can enable that will give you five channels of percussion. I think there's a... I'm losing on this. It's a bass snare toms hats hats and symbol symbols cymbal, yeah yeah so you can use uh, six melodic voices and then that percussion line peak doesn't use any of the percussion because he's very much into these kind of otherworldly sounds and having a lot of um kind of ambience and percussion in his music he writes everything himself and I think that's what defines him as a musician really kind of exploring these different instruments and making something that sounds really really unique I really like the style and I think we're gonna hear more of this as we get through the show
0: yeah and as we'll talk about later he was super into sound design and synthesis so it's not really surprising to me that he would want a custom tweak and we'll talk about the sound driver in this in a, in a later section but it's, it's really cool stuff
2: yeah so I don't know Have we talked about cryo on this Not show. really. I don't believe so. Not in any real depth, no. Yeah, so Cryo is a, uh, a French game studio, and so they released KGB, and uh, had Virgin Games publish it on both Amiga and DOS 92, collectively in the UK, US, Germany, and Argentina, of all places. And it was later re-released on CD-ROM under the name Conspiracy for IBM PCs in 93 and 94, more widely in the US, UK, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. Yeah, now Cryo
0: is a kind of interesting company, and since we don't talk about French devs too often on our show, I wanted to go back even a little bit further to talk about an earlier company called ERE Informatique, to set the stage. So, ERE Informatique was one of the first French video game companies. They were founded in 1983 by Emmanuel Viau, and a year later, Philippe Ulrich joined the team. In the earliest days of the company, they hired freelance game programmers that then received royalties for their games. It was a fairly common practice for game companies in those days.
2: I think that they only did freelance game programmers, right? They didn't actually have a staff of programmers um, in the research that I was looking at.
0: I don't think so with ERE. And I remember EA also did something very similar to that. That's why this didn't surprise me when I read that. Right. Their first games were published for the Amstrad CPC, the ZX Spectrum, and the Oric Home Computers, which was a British home computer pretty much only popular in the UK and France. It wasn't I had never really heard of it before this episode. And their first big hit was Macadam Bumper. It was a pinball simulator game programmed by Remy Airbelow who was a self-taught programmer, and that's a name that's gonna become a more important throughout the show. They also created the game Bubble Ghost in 1987. It was a minor hit, but it was published on a lot of platforms, including the Game Boy in 1990, so you might have played that one, possibly. Never heard of either of those. In general, ERE didn't have a lot of worldwide hits. So in 1988, ERE created their Exos label. It was designed to put out original stories based on science fiction worlds. This was during that era of popular science fiction like Blade Runner, H.R. Giger stuff, you know, Alien... Uh, there was a 70s French magazine called Metal Urlan. It was uh, basically the equivalent of heavy metal. heavy metal magazine in the U.S. It actually came out a few
2: years which, before that. Which is crazy because I thought the Heavy Metal magazine was like a very American kind of thing. Or, you know, it was actually Canadian, right? <laughs> Something like that. But, I think uh, it was I,
0: American, I, but I was surprised that uh, Metal Hourlan, which is called Howling Metal or Screaming Metal in English, came out in 74 so it was right, a few, so... it was like a solid three years before heavy metal. It was like 77. And if you're not familiar with those, just think of like prog rock album covers, silver metal people, beast men, Star Wars, you know, that whole era of like fantasy, anything sci-fi. from like
2: Iron Maiden, like I mean, <laughs> it's just it, you know, in fact, if you haven't seen the heavy metal movie, go watch that. It's so, it's so bizarre and strange and so. Kind of oddly French, I think. Actually, you know, there's some, there's,
0: <laughs> there's yeah, some the, kind of, the cover of that is a uh, is a lady in a bikini riding a dragon. That's basically all you need to know about the art style that was popular <laughs> at the time.
2: <laughs> so there was a game called Heavy Metal too, and uh, I think for the Dreamcast, right. I heavy metal for Dreamcast? don't know. It's, it seems like a common enough title. Well,
0: anyway, let, let me finish up with the, <laughs> yes, the, the Exos stuff. So Exos produced probably ERE's only really notable games. Uh, they produced cults, the temple of flying saucers and captain blood. Uh, they're both really weird biomechanical games uh, and uh, very French. Yes, <laughs> captain blood is French. especially weird. Like you fly around the galaxy looking to kill your own clones to regain your power. But at the same time, you communicate with aliens using pictographs. It's like a prototype for uh, star control, but less humorous and more just like surreal, I guess.
2: These games were very strange. So I, I had never heard of either one of them until we started looking into this. And I think we we're just talking about the other night. Like there's something about like the art style and the imagery that they're trying to depict. It's like this really kind of like strange. It's almost like a dystopian future but also with like some weird kind of alice in wonderland type surrealism kind of aspects to it it's, i i don't know how to explain it it's just it, it's it's uncomfortable and kind of gross but like at the same time really cool
0: yeah i've watched enough french media at this point to know that there's something that has to do with like sex and existentialism at all times I don't really get it I didn't grow up in that culture but there's just something that kind of permeates the <laughs> French media games movies comic books I, I can't quite put my finger on it uh, well anyway just to wrap up this section ERE um, like a lot of early game companies they had some financial problems so in, in June of 87 they were acquired by Infogrames which was a massive French games publisher
2: and that we've absolutely with, talked about before.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they've come up a few times. And ERE operated for a little bit more independently, you know, their Exos label. But eventually, a number of employees either quit or were laid off. And that's when they joined together to form Cryo. Yes.
2: Yeah, so Cryo began unofficially in 1989 and formally incorporated as Cryo Interactive Entertainment in 1990 in Paris, France. It was founded by Philippe Ulrich, Remy Urbelo, and Jean-Marcel Lafranc. The first game, Ecstasy, was released in 1990, but their big break was in 1992 with the release of Dune, a first-person adventure game based on the Frank Herbert novel, and the in-game graphics borrowed heavily from the 1984 David Lynch film. And to this day, it's still probably their best-known game, especially outside of France. I mean, I hadn't heard pretty much of anything else in, in, <laughs> except for Dune, and everybody knows Dune, I think, in, yeah. in the gaming scene.
0: For me, it was basically the soundtracks, and I knew Dune just because when the movie the came Lynch out, film, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it was known as like a really ambitious science fiction film, or a total flop in the theaters. It kind of had this uh, cult ethos
2: around it. So, right. yeah. <laughs> well, what's crazy is that you know, Dune came out in '92, which was a pretty ambitious title compared to what they had done before. But KGB was also released in 1992, but it didn't make as big of a splash since. It was fictitious, but it was based in that that realistic setting, and I think that just people weren't as eating that that content up as much as the um, the sci-fi. At the time. see I
0: don't get that because the Star Wars prequel trilogy showed that kids love political turmoil they love hearing about <laughs> trade deals and you know like what's going on with one government faction versus
2: another so this game right. should have been a surefire hit right but it, and it's <laughs> crazy because it borrowed the same game engine and the music engine so there's a lot of similarities between um k g b and dune under the hood, but they just just took a completely different approach to um, how to uh, grab the audience, I guess. Other notable titles uh, that Cryo did was the Mega Race series. So that that's a popular one. I, I wouldn't say it's as popular as Dune. Um and I think a lot of Mega Race's popularity came from the fact that it was installed on a lot of PCs. Um, there was a period of time when Windows ninety five was released that uh, was ninety five or three point one that um, mega race was um, just bundled in software. And it so probably was pop- 3.1. Well, actually, it could have been either. I, I don't know, remember. I, think, yet. Well, I would say it was ninety five, and um, and I think it came. Bu- uh, I think it came bundled in. I remember my friend had a Hewlett Packard. Or a Packard Bell machine, and I think it was bundled with that. Um, so yeah, Mega Race, Lost Eden, and the Atlantis series. Yeah, Cryo was
0: mostly a PC developer. They right. occasionally had ports to other systems and consoles. Like a lot of stuff in those early days was for like Sega CD and Amiga. But in general, if you look at the history of games they developed, it was almost always PC first, with you know sometimes support. Oftentimes, their games were 2D or 3D adventure games, you know, like this one. And they did release games in other genres, but they were, that was kind of their bread and butter. Mm -hmm. And they'd often feature really highly fictionalized historical settings, like this one, or ancient Greece, for example. Or their other trend was to do licensed properties like Dune, or they did a game based on Philip K. Dick's Ubik for the PS1, which. Like, remember hearing about and then forgetting immediately.
2: After. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. And by the mid 90s, Cryo was a pretty sizable company. In addition to developing numerous games and stuff, they started working as a publisher. So unfortunately, uh, a lot of their games were only moderately successful. So the company went bankrupt in 2002. But all in all, they developed and published about 80 different games in just over a decade.
0: Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't surprise you that they folded when we've talked about they released 80 games and even the stuff that they're known for is not that well known. <laughs> so. Exactly, yeah. And, and as a fun little side note, early on in their history, they developed two games for the Super Nintendo, the adver game Super Danny and the licensed game Time Cop. They're not really notable games, but the music for both was composed by a David DiGrotola, better known as David Cage. Yes, everybody, that David Cage, the founder of Quantic Dream, they made Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human, Fahrenheit before that. Uh, He's a bit of a um, polarizing game director, let's say, but he wrote the music for these two games. So if you want to blame anybody for his early success, blame Cryo Entertainment.
2: (laughs) Right. Time Cop, man. That brings me back. I love that movie. (laughs) I didn't play that game, so I don't know much about it, but I... I played it just a little bit because i I like the movie but i mean i haven't watched the movie in probably like like 20 years so it's super (laughs) dumb but it's pretty fun (laughs) oh it's really dumb uh virgin games
0: uh you want to talk about that for a second yeah no not really but we'll go over them as quickly as possible so virgin games was part of the massive british conglomerate known as virgin group you've probably heard of them was founded by richard branson and nick powell virgin's involved in everything airlines retail banking music gaming Lots and lots of other stuff. Virgin Games was founded in 1983, and it's changed a lot over the years. In 1993, they were Virgin Interactive Entertainment. Later, Avalon Interactive in 2003, which then went bankrupt in 2006. At one point in time, Virgin owned Westwood Studios, known for the Command & Conquer series, Legend of Carandia, and the other Dune series, which is a bunch of real-time strategy games. Yes. Uh, Same license, different (laughs) style of game altogether. Right. Virgin was one of Europe's largest publishers, and they had a fairly large presence even in the U.S. Um, I remember them from Beneath the Steel Sky, personally. I mean, from their games division.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, Virgin yeah. was basically the the British Sony. You know, like they, oh, yeah. they did like the same kind of thing. Maybe even uh, larger scale, you know. Like they were a very big um, conglomerate of everything, you know. Oh, so. yeah.
0: I mean, I bought a lot of albums that were by Virgin back in the day in the 90s. So their name was everywhere and a lot of people know richard branson he's a fairly like yeah yeah Yeah, (laughs) he's a fairly notable ceo and that he's always making his face very visible
2: in any (laughs) case (laughs) uh (laughs) we've gone on way too long that's the longest uh block of talking because we're gonna get into a lot more music. we're gonna shorten it down after this and
0: virgin games is still around today but it's just used for their gambling division similar to how konami does we keep ragging yeah. on them but anyway they're that's not the only all, ones anyway. that's about all we're going to do about talking about virgin they're uh, not that interesting in the context of this show
2: <laughs> yes let's get into our next track this is Kurtz, and this is also uh from the opl2 version composed by stefan peak
0: That was the OPL2 version of Kursk, composed by Stefan Peek for KGB or Conspiracy.
2: There's a few different movements in this track that I think they they repeat, uh, but we're not actually playing a loop there. It's uh, two kind of distinct sections that have altered versions later on. And I, I really like this because it starts off, It you know, all the music in this game isn't too, I don't want to say it's, it's too busy sounding. I think what's interesting about it is the just diversity in the instrumentation and the kind of play on creating this kind of dark sound nothing inadvertently russian about it you know it's it's a lot hardly, more hardly yeah yeah it's a lot more just very um kind of dark and like it's just a, a, a little bit gritty but with the very tribalistic kind of um instruments to the uh the percussion line
0: you know what i love about this track is it's probably the most minimal song in the sense it's like you have a lot of space to breathe there's a lot of like openings but it also really showcases just how expressive it can be there's a lot of like morphing of sounds uh sound patches you know like changing the mid sound a lot closer to what you hear out of like subtractive synths of the day like you didn't hear this out of fm
2: soundtracks too much yeah i think there's just a lot of really uh interesting instruments i mean we're, we've We've heard it already. We're going to hear more as we get through the soundtrack. He's a very worldly kind of person, but really trying to dissect and play individual uh, channels is a challenge on this and kind of uh, hard to pinpoint because he really moves and kind of dances around the sound chip um, and what it can do and what FM can do on this chip. And so uh, it's a a very um, unique uh, characteristic of this composer.
0: Yeah, and, and we talk about this from time to time. OPL2 is not a great sound chip in the sense that most people just didn't take the time to learn it, but he is pretty much one of the few masters that you can point to as really understanding how it works. So, Stefan Peek, we mentioned he wrote... The core of the soundtrack. He also worked on Cult Temple, of The Flying Saucers for ERE. That was a previous company. Ecstasy, which was Cryos' first official game in 1990. Dune, Mega Race, Commander Blood. That was a sequel to Captain Blood by ERE. Lost Eden, Atlantis, The Lost Tales. Wait, they
2: made a sequel. They made a sequel. I didn't know this. They made they a did. sequel to Captain Blood. Yeah, it's called Commander
0: Blood. It's got that terrible, like mid 90s CG, like uh, pre-render uh... stuff. Okay. I, I kind of prefer the abstract French uh, first version versus the, like, bad game over cutscene, <laughs> like, <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese stuff. Uh, and the, I think his last game that he worked on officially was River World, um, which was okay. in 1998. And Stefan Peek was similar to a lot of game musicians at the time. He started off as a programmer in 1983, coding games for the ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC. He started writing music mostly just as a hobby because he played with electric piano and analog synth. But most of his money was from porting games to other systems like the Amiga. And often the Amiga ports wouldn't have much sound and music, so he just started to add them on his own with tracker software. And while he was at ERE, people liked what he was doing enough, and he was asked to write music for their games, and soon that was his primary job. He became almost exclusively
2: a music programmer. Yes, so we we did look up some information some personal information that he had on his personal website back in 1998 is when it kind of uh disappeared but uh using archive.org we were able to look back in the wayback machine um, and he talks about some of his background he's actually a really interesting guy here's a few quotes says uh who am i a composer born in 1965 and worked mainly for computer games since 1987. A guy fascinated by all kinds of altered states of consciousness music, mainly shamanic ritual music and techno trance, but also some sacred music and some meditative new age music. Also a human being co-renter of this nice planet like you. So um, very, very spiritual. We're all connected. We're all one. (laughs) Yeah, It's very interesting, too, because the the title of his his website is um, Who Am I? Who cares? <laughs> you know, he's very much like kind of just saying like, you know, I'm. It doesn't matter really who I am, but in case you wanted to know, here's a few little tidbits.
0: Yeah, it's um, this website. It was logged in 1998, and he mentions that I'm now living in Madagascar, trying to forget everything about computer games and having a completely different life. Ten years doing the same job is a very long time, and I think one must change sometimes. And he goes on and talks more about it, which I think it's crazy, right, to just like. Pull up sticks and just be like, you know what? I'm gonna go live in another country.
2: I'll do Dude, I couldn't do that. You know, especially you, you think about you think about something like that. You can tell from his music that he is very passionate about this kind of thing, right? He he learned OPL 2 and and really like m- kind of mastered it. Um, he really spent time developing his sound, and 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 this is not something you can just throw away. But he did. You know, he was just like, um, I'm, I'm moving on moving on and uh he's got a a ton of influences you know like not not every composer has this just oozing uh like culture um you know a lot of people say oh you know i was really into rock i was really into um maybe um you know classical music or maybe maybe some middle eastern stuff but uh his his influence is just list is is amazing it's middle eastern african indian uh balinese sacred music new age classical rock metal trash blues techno trance jungle ambient i mean he lists some really really cool stuff uh different bands on his website yeah when some people say i listen to all music i'm like
0: yeah okay sure but when when a guy like this says it i believe it (laughs) yeah
2: i mean i mean he's probably just listening to this stuff right now um you know (laughs) not knowing that we're talking about him while he's hanging out in madagascar probably didn't even know the coronavirus thing happened yeah
0: i'm sure he does he has the <laughs> internet but i think he's still down there and this is what 20 something years later and oh yeah you yeah. know just to round it out some of the bands he mentions very specifically you know keep in mind this was 1998 so bjork bright eno depeche mode eric Satie, uh you know the piano composer kate bush Philip Glass, Vivaldi, yes, and like two dozen other bands. I mean, this guy truly, truly was a lover of music. (laughs) That's so evident.
2: Yeah, and one of our favorite quotes, he says is, if you feel shocked to see some of your favorite names, bands near others, uh, which seem weird to you, remember that there are many musics for every moment of the day multiplied by the number of different emotions you can feel, multiplied by the number of seasons, multiplied by the number of places you can listen to music, even if I like techno trance, I would never come into my mind to listen to it on a beautiful beach in the south of India. That quote, I, I know it. It's it's funny because I I think he's he's kind of playing a joke on us, or he's he's joking obviously that like you know there's there's too much to say because I have an emotion and a mood and a minute and a second for every thing I listen to, and it depends on that moment that really particular style or, or genre or what have you speaks to me. And I I like that. You know, I read that several times over and I just thought like, oh, this is that's cool. It's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah, I think it captures a very cool idea that like you could be listening to two different artists like in the exact same place, one because you're sad and one because you're happy and they're both appropriate, you know, based on how you're feeling. So there's no reason why you have to limit what you listen to based on anything really arbitrary, and, but at the same time, some things, you know, you mentioned I wouldn't listen to Trance on a beautiful beach. I probably would, but, you know, there's a time and a place that fit the setting and the mood. It doesn't necessarily always, you know, sometimes the place dictates what feels right, and other times it's more how you're feeling. You know, it's, I don't think, it's a cool sentiment.
2: But you know why this guy worked so good with game audio is because I think that concept speaks a lot to People who listen to VGM, right? VGM isn't a genre, you know. There's genres. We, we we listen to all sorts of stuff, right? Like on this show, for example, like we listen to classical, we listen to trance, we listen to country and like kind of deep south blues. We listen to you know like the the whole gamut, right? And uh, and I think that appreciating that and a lot of uh, people that listen to you know VGM podcasts, VGM can be in that in that same kind of mindset you know like depends on what you're into in that moment you know that's why when people say like what's your favorite you know your favorite soundtrack like i i can't pick because it doesn't it doesn't work like that you know it doesn't it just doesn't work that way and so uh it, I can really i can really relate i mean this soundtrack totally i mean this is like ambient electronic
0: which I love ambient electronic music, but it's rare to find a soundtrack that we'd be able to play on the show that would keep people's interest. But there's so many little things to grab onto that it's like, you know, this is a little bit different, right? We're listening to these long tracks, these long ambient electronic tracks where we tend to prefer sometimes, you know, like more upbeat, dancey kind of stuff. I mean, I I still think this is something that a lot of people can enjoy. It is one of the reasons why I wanted to pick this because soundtracks like this just don't come around very often, (laughs) you know, like... I I think it's good to highlight something like this where it's engaging and interesting and a little bit odd all at the same time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy, he's a very spiritual guy. He has a deep connection to music. And uh, we're going to, you know, listen to other soundtracks by him in the future for sure. I mean, there's, there's not a lot, and we probably won't hear anything unless he decides to move away from Madagascar and get back. You know, he's like, 10 years in Madagascar, 20 years in Madagascar. I'm doing something else. What's he doing now? Like he's in the like rare jewel business or I think he was like precious stones. He he
0: was selling shells by the seashore. I actually don't know exactly what he was doing, but he wasn't doing music stuff. But um, I did see recently he was tapped for the mega race reboot, but I don't know if that's ever been finished. Yeah. So I think it was more like I've been tapped for the project. If it ever comes to the point, I'll write the music for it. I think that was like three or four years ago. So I haven't seen any news yeah the guy's probably checked out he's doing fine he seems i've seen photos of him and he looks like he's on a beach in like a
2: hawaiian shirt just kind of chilling out you know yeah (laughs) exactly well so we listened to a lot of opl2 stuff so far or a few tracks the amiga stuff actually has some really interesting sounds like we're gonna primarily focus on the uh opl2 but there is some um interesting samples and stuff that are using the Amiga and there's also a single track that is exclusive to the Amiga. When Alexander Ekian ported over the sound, there is a, a track in here called Exo Love or the main theme from KGB. So let's take a listen to that and we'll be right back. The bundle, 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 the bundle,
4: the bundle, 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 the
2: That's a really smooth track. I like it. It's not extremely exciting, but just I don't know. It hits a lot of of the right notes for me. I like it. Yeah, Yeah, that pad sound really just I I, it I feel it deep inside. I mean, (laughs) going for a
0: different thing than the uh, Stefan Peak tracks. It's a little bit more like '80s new wave, uh, Tears Years. But I really dig the track. That's not a slam on it, but like it's clear he's going for something else than what Stefan Peak was going for. And that's Alexander Ekian.
2: Yes. So there's only really three tracks on the Amiga release. Uh, a part of a fourth track, it's like, like 40 third, seconds. Yeah, yes. like that. <laughs> um, the track you just heard was Exo Love, also known as KGB's main theme. And it was written using Star Trekker, which is a format or a, a tracker that is a sound tracker clone released by Exelon or Bjorn Wesson of Fairlight 1990. And uh, essentially, it looks just like any other, you know, soundtrack or file or pro tracker, even. But uh, you know, EXO Love that the, the title itself, if you can remember earlier on, we were talking about EXO's was their um, sci-fi, yeah. yeah, their sci-fi name, and so um, kind of reusing that for this was a, a nice little um, throwback, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that got kind of attached to that whole EXO's name. It kind of pops up in and- random little spots. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, the composer, Alexander Ekian, we don't really have that much info on him, but other than this game, he also did the Amiga version of Dune and the soundtrack for Super Burnout for the Atari Jaguar, which is definitely worth checking out. It's actually a really good soundtrack. But yeah. otherwise, I couldn't find a
2: whole lot on this guy, to be honest. Yeah, in fact, on uh, Stefan Peak's website, that archived one, he actually gave a totally different name totally wrong i think he just didn't really know you know yeah, I, yeah, think I think he really just yeah. wrote it as like alex abekian or something like yeah that. yeah yeah something <laughs> just wrong anyways kgb we briefly touched on the story at the top of the show uh it's summer of 1991 uh prior to the collapse of the soviet union and you the player maxim rukov uh are transferred suddenly to a new branch called the department p that sole purpose is to investigate corruption and double agents or other possible treacherous acts within the kgb and bring them to light a retired officer turned private detective ends up dead and you're tasked with determining what connection exists between the officer's death and corruption within the department
0: yeah and obviously there's a lot of twists and turns you're sort of interrogating people you uh, you know, can hide out and watch different things happening throughout the game. So you have to be somewhat stealthy or choose when you want to intervene in a conversation. A lot, lot of conversations in this game. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean,
2: it's, uh, you know, it's not like it, it, you can't compare it to. Uh, like a Lucas game or anything like a like a Scum game, you, like you would get used to like animations and um, kind of moving your character around. This is a very still screen, almost interrogation kind of uh, style. Um, nothing like um, Monkey Island. <laughs> it, it, nothing like Monkey Island. You know, this is a, a game is a, a lot more serious. The entertainment is like you're reading a crime scene investigation novel you know it's a lot more um a lot more on that um kind of sleuthy and 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 dark double agent side yeah you're spending a lot of time piecing
0: together what happened and you got people that are on to you and all sorts of different folks that come in and out of the story and it's hard to know if they're telling the truth there's a lot of just trying to process of elimination figure out who's involved in what ways I, I didn't. <clears throat> I didn't play through the whole game. One of the reasons why is that it's actually really tough. Like, there's a because it's based off of the Dune engine. It also has an in-game clock that advances for every action that you do. If you're waiting around, if you're talking to people, if you switch screens, the very first mission, it's like, Rukov, I need this report on my desk by six o'clock. It starts at four p.m. and like moving to one scene costs you forty minutes. So if, they, <laughs> if you make a mistake, if you ask the wrong question, if right. you uh, you know terminate the investigation if you don't find the information that you're looking for you can lose in that very first like
2: <laughs> 20 yeah. minutes of gameplay but at the same time the time aspect uh, plays an important uh, critical role in other things like there's one scene where you're you're kind of staking out a uh, an interaction between two of the characters um, in a park and your character is Goes to hide in a bush right to, to kind of like listen in on some kind of possible interaction you, you see somebody you you hide and then you advance the clock and you advance that clock until um that interaction takes place you you listen in uh and then you you observe what's going to happen so that stakeout kind of and time factoring in is a critical part of the game and actually I thought made the game seem pretty cool. Like not a lot of other games did that.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people at this time are trying to figure out how to take advantage of like pseudo real time, right? Like the game clock progresses um, and you can see how things change over time. I think nowadays it's, relatively commonplace you have day night cycles and all that stuff but at the time i think it was a pretty cool gameplay concept that said if you go back and play it today it's probably going to be pretty hard and the chances that you're going to get a game over are really high so make sure you've got a guide with you save often there's probably a spoiler free walkthrough. or if you don't want to do that just watch a playthrough (laughs) you'll probably get almost as much out of it i think
2: that playthrough uh, so i watched um i watched uh one of the playthroughs long plays on there And uh, it was it was like an hour, uh, two and a half hours, three hours, something like that. Yeah, people who know what they're doing, right, going through it. So not an incredibly long game. Uh, Gabriel Knight's way longer. Um, If you're gonna pick one of the two, go Gabriel Knight. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I I think it's worth it checking out. I mean, it was it's definitely a weird kind of niche subgenre within, you know, like espionage, like spy espionage point and click adventure regarding like the KGB i it's it's got its place for sure
0: yeah it's an interesting adventure game footnote at the very least and probably worth like watching like 10 minutes of gameplay to see to see if it's your kind of game
2: yeah the scenery is a little bit bleak it's kind of it's not an enjoyable place to be um the the offices that you you walk through and different like guard stations and stuff it's just all very much like and I, I get it's just not a, a happy place that you would
0: <laughs> wanna end up. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not puppy dogs and rainbows, it's apartment buildings and bureaucratic
2: offices. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So uh, that being said, let's move it over to something that's a little more enjoyable, which is uh, the soundtrack. This is Gorby, uh, from the uh, OPL two composed by Stefan Peak.
0: That was the OPL 2 version of Gorby composed by Stefan Peak for
2: KGB or Conspiracy. Ooh, love this tune. This is a we're going to have to definitely pull this one apart a little bit. The, the strange effects and like kind of um, vocaloid sections like just again this is it, it's like this trancey kind of techno but it, it's not um, it's not too up tempo. It's not in- invoking any sort of um, like panic. It's more of this like question. Like this f- kind of uh, fog or haze is in the air, and you're you're just kind of questioning everything around you. And I can appreciate the bizarre and experimentation that. Uh, Peak is doing with the uh, the OPL2 here. I, I really like this track. It's a really good one.
0: Yeah, me too. I uh, I was looking this up because I was really curious how they got that Gorbachev sound, and initially I was like, uh, maybe it is speech synthesis, but no, that's, that's pure FM. They were just doing some clever programming to make it sound like it was a Vocaloid synth, and that's I can't think of any other game at this time that was doing stuff like that. I mean, maybe they were playing back one bit audio samples but like using fm to simulate speech was super weird but awesome yeah, yeah absolutely every one of these tracks has to me what i would say these really satisfying bass tones like just the bass lines are really deep and rich and i, I just love how they kind of carry that through most of the game
2: yeah no i, I think so too i mean th- this track is 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 very unique Added in, in this game but the whole soundtrack is unique out of what we usually get from the OPL2 anyway so it's just like kind of like the obscure of the obscure I guess and yeah, this uh,
0: finally I, the OPL2 gets its chance to shine
2: <laughs> yeah I know I know right I know I love it um so anyways this this track let's let's kind of tear this apart a little bit I think there's uh some interesting stuff that we can kind of listen to and uh kind of bring to the foreground so um, again, there's no uh, percussion mode in this track, so um, we can kind of just listen to each of the nine FM channels together. This first one here, let's take a listen. Low growl. Yeah, like that. Okay. There's that bass line.
4: Yeah. Let's bring in the second channel here.
2: So so listen to this this by itself here. That kick is so like deep. You almost don't hear it. It just adds this like it's like almost heartbeat thud to the track. And that top. I don't know what you'd call that. It's not really a snare,
0: but no, it's just it's like a, a like a snare bell. <laughs> yeah, but it works well in this context of the track. Here's channel four. Got some your your metals there.
2: Ooh. That was that the one I was curious about. What is this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's so many inventive sounds on this thing. Ooh, listen to
2: that. He really likes those runs. very like brash
0: yeah i mean it's a good way to create movement throughout the track literally because well, it stays i think pretty much in the same
2: chords like the oh, same yeah. two chords or so so here's it looks like the, the the last few channels um he seems to uses the oh god well, that just like dismissed what I was about to say.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so here's this is seven eight nine. Oh, it's like a it's like a little oh, breath coming there. up underwater. Yeah. uh, What mastery though, you know, like I think that um, being able to have the knowledge uh, to perform or to to mentally piece something together like this is pretty incredible Yeah, and a lot of that was actually due to the sound driver they were using so one of the
0: reasons why a lot of OPL2 music wasn't very good. Was uh, people just didn't take the time to really learn the ins and outs of the chip? Like maybe they write a pretty good tune, right? But they'll use like stock patches from whatever library or whatever tool they're using. But they hey, had actually be honest
2: the the percussion the built-in percussion mode like is not that good.
0: No, not really, <laughs> especially on the OPL2. But they um they went through the trouble of creating a custom music system for this one called the Air Below Adlib system, which was created by Cryo co-founder Remy Herbelo or Herbelo, I don't know how to pronounce that exactly, with help from Stefan Peek. So they actually made sure that they had something that gave them access to all of those funky little commands. Uh, and that's why KGB and Dune are some of the most expressive OPL2 soundtracks of the time. You know, it was used in Dune, KGB, and Mega Race. Uh, later on versions, I think it was more towards like CD audio, but some of their earlier games were using this FM uh, sound system, and this is something interesting. Peek said this about the driver. I designed Herad because the existing software didn't take advantage of all the sound parameters and were very poor in expressiveness, the only dynamic being volume of notes. Basically, in Herad, several individual parameters of the sound patches, like volume of operators, can be modulated individually by velocity, mod wheel, or aftertouch, like a real synth. We also used some hidden parameters not documented by AdLib, but mentioned the Yamaha technical notice of the YM3812FM chip. So they basically were like reading over the technical specs to figure out how every bit worked to understand if they could get the full, you know, the full just, character out of this. It like yeah. a
2: person that would be like, oh, I'll just take what I can get. He, you know, based on what we were saying earlier, it seems like, hey, like, I want this instrument that like literally like three people play in the world. Uh, I want to make it on you know on the OPL too how do we do that <laughs> um, I do want to um, backtrack one second here you mentioned herad um, and that is the kind of abbreviation for the herbalo adlibs system so if that wasn't clear
0: yeah yeah it's sort of a it's sort of a half acronym you know <laughs> so right hair ad like hair below ad lib yeah so it's kind of interesting because it was designed not only was it designed to be really expressive it was also multi-platform so it mostly used MIDI style controls so you could write to it and play to it with keyboards and things I imagine or at least that was sort of the intent and it supported a number of platforms actually so you had the standard opl2 which was heard on dune and kgb mt32 which we're going to hear from in just a little bit uh, and opl3 or adlib gold which was used to great effect on dune so if you want to check out e- episode 81 for an example of that or just look up dune adlib gold it sounds fantastic you got stereo yeah. richard sounds you were
2: the one that played dune on that
0: episode I was right? yeah. yeah um but that's the only game that really does it so like This is a guy who not only, like, mastered a chip that most people didn't do, he also used the OPL-3, which almost nobody even bothered supporting, and made this really awesome soundtrack for it just because he he wanted to take full advantage. He put
2: all that effort into the OPL-3, and then nobody used it, he's like, okay, screw it, I'm going to Madagascar. (laughs)
0: And also, um, finally, the OPN2 or the 2612. This was when I said it was used in Mega Race. The Sega CD still had the Genesis sound chip in it. So that was pretty much all he used for the music for that game. So this sound driver, you could output to all of those different formats, which is pretty cool and probably took a lot of work.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Remy Herbelow. Yeah. Must have been a really good programmer. (laughs) Smart dude. Smart dude. Yeah. So yeah, earlier Gene mentioned the MT-32. We haven't listened to anything from it yet, uh, but it's actually got some pretty standout tracks. So this next one we're gonna hear is Paradise, and we really, really like this one. This is using the Roland MT-32 sound hardware composed by Stefan Peak. Right, that was Paradise using the Roland MT-32 hardware composed by Stefan Peak, for the DOS version of KGB.
0: Yeah, that is... Uh, I love that ringing
2: telephone sound in there. <laughs> it's yeah.
0: kind of like, you know, it's very bureaucratic there.
2: <laughs> you know, this track is very MT-32 sounding. I mean, it's very, very MIDI sounding. But, you know, I think it works for this track. You know, it's kind of got this... Um, this kind of darker vibe to it. Uh, the instruments are bright sounding, but they sound very clean, um, which we have known to expect from the MT-32. Uh, we know all these patches, you know, like we know these these instruments. And so I think um, that there's nothing really unexpected as far as the instrumentation goes. But I think that the use of those instruments and like where uh, they emphasize or where he's emphasizing certain Um, notes and certain uh, sounds is still a very um, amazing quality that he has. We've talked a lot about how the OPL2 has some pretty cool technical tricks.
0: And while it doesn't have that, it still sounds pretty good on the hardware. And I mean, it's probably he didn't have to do that, right? He probably could have just left it as the FM stuff and and called it a day. But
2: hey, 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 man, like we, you know, someone just paid like 900 bucks for their MT-32 or whatever, like, (laughs) <laughs> they get some damn sound out of this thing that's not just OPL2, right? So that's true, that's true. Yeah, there's
0: <laughs> this is another one where MT32 only has four tracks, so if you want the full experience, you still got to have that ad lib. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's I, I mean, I, I actually don't find most of these tracks super amazing, but this was my favorite of the four by far. I thought it sounded really good,
2: yeah. I mean, me too. I mean, the, the Opel is the Opel two is where it shines obviously, but like the, uh, the MT32 stuff, I think is super fun to listen to. The Omega stuff is, is, is also pretty incredible. Um, I, I think, and it's different, but it's noteworthy for sure.
0: Yeah. Different so,
2: flavors. Yeah. Lots of
0: same tunes, different flavors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway. So KGB is a, is a very strange game for a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's kind of an odd choice for subject matter, not not in the sense
2: that like people don't like political intrigue. I mean, there are there is a there's a place for it, but I would ex- expect maybe something like this from like an American game company, um, you know, just based on the the whole like American, you know, Russian tensions, Cold War tensions. Cold yeah. War tensions. Um, but no, a French company, right? So that's another oddity, I think, right there.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if I was reading the releases right, but it looked like it didn't release in France until the later CD ROM release. So they intended it to come to the US first. So I don't know if it was just like a fascination with the Soviet Union, like generally in the whole world, or what, like, who the market was for this. I don't know. It's like that that aspect on its own. The
2: Americans, they hate the Russians. Yeah, let's release this game. (laughs) But, and and here's the other part it was released in the same year as Dune. My horrible French accent. Uh, Yeah, I know. It was released the same year. It was like they didn't have enough to work on. So they worked on two pretty heavy lifting uh, games side by side. But
0: that's that's what's crazy to me. Like they released Dune, and Dune had support for like three different sound sources. It's like, you know, including the Adlib Gold. And. They also tried to do kind of the same thing, but they cut back a little bit, probably because they expected it to be less successful. But here's what's kind of weird, right? Like, Dune got this uh, album called Spice Opera, which was a reorchestrated album with live instruments. And that came about because the art director, Philippe Ulrich, was so taken with the soundtrack, he's like, Virgin Records, you guys have to put an album out for the soundtrack. And that was an opportunity for them to revisit it. They had one planned for KGB, technically. Uh, I found this note on VGM rips. Kaminari, who ripped the ad-lib version of this, said that there was a hint at this, you know, re-orchestrated album called Rave Age. That's actually in the original DOS version. If you load it up, there's like this text that says, look out for the soundtrack coming. And... The CD master was ready, apparently, according to Stefan Peak, but Virgin decided against it. So somebody has a copy somewhere. Yeah. So like they wanted it to be as big as Dune, but they also kind of set themselves up for failure in a way. So that's kind of disappointing that I can't hear it because I really want to hear
2: it. the reorchestrated um, Dune soundtrack is great. You should definitely it just doesn't make yeah. it any sense to me like why like was it just not in their budget to do any marketing for it i mean they had already done it you know they'd already done all the work i guess and, they just, was just nobody like, was going to buy the cd for maybe like, the game didn't sell very well at that point and they're like yeah we're not going to waste our time yeah
0: game music from the hit game kgb based on the collapsing soviet union like yeah, all the kids are gonna rush out and grab that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> They're right, clamoring next to, for that. It <laughs> sits it's, it's right next to the Chrono Trigger albums, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I, it's there's other little things too. Like technically, there's support for Adlib Gold, the OPL3 chip, but it doesn't do anything with it. So I don't know. I just I feel like they wanted this game to be more than it was, but just time limits or whatever
2: kind of and, and those Even lands. to this day, it's is it worth going back to? I mean, maybe. No. Eh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I think you know there there might be something there. If you if you like point and click adventures, then don't let us deter you from uh giving it a shot. Because I, I think there's there's something there for people who really want um to read a, an interesting story I mean at that point. There's there's nothing that's you know, spy espionage and cover ups and conspiracies like that the kind of stuff like there's an audience for it, right? Just yeah. apparently not much. So if
0: you're if you're tired of all those fun classic adventure games, just play one that's really frustrating and,
2: and kind of boring. Yeah, and and a <laughs> little bit bland. Uh speaking of <laughs> land, you know, we talked about the scenery being a little bit lackluster, but I think that's almost because they try to make it too realistic. Like when I think of Russia, I don't think of a ton of color. Um, I think of a lot of browns, a lot of snow, and a lot of browns. (laughs) Well, this game does take place in summertime, so you at least
0: get the fuller range of colors. It's not just like white and brown and gray, but you're not not far off. The the game color palette is pretty... Uh, it, it, you know, goes towards those earth tones a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and You know what? Like, I, I got to say, too, the art style is very interesting. Um, it's, it's not done uh, by, like, an American artist, right? So it doesn't have a lot of the same, uh, maybe facial feature or not facial features but like facial animations that you would expect to see from a uh like a you know like gabriel knight for example i'm using that is a is kind of a, like a reference for this right now but you know the uh proportions are a little bit strange i think that they purposely made like the russians look a little bit more intimidating than <laughs> the russian people really are um i mean it's kgb after all so i yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that but i like they're, <laughs> like they're very uh, like um accented uh like brow and like like when they talk their eyebrows kind of shift around and like their jawline moves there's a lot of facial movement that's like makes them look a little bit like grittier than maybe they would be you know so yeah very serious uh, a lot of serious faces throughout the yeah, game nobody <laughs> looks happy yeah, nobody looks happy. <laughs> Those guards in uniform—they just—they just look like they're yelling at everybody all the time. You know. That said, uh, there's like people with you know smiley happy faces on the wall. No, I'm just kidding. They're all like upset too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's happy in this game. Nobody's happy in this game. But uh, <laughs> makes it sound like it's a really bad game. But it—I it, don't no, think
0: i feel like it has an interesting character i think it's just a really tough sell I, honestly yeah. I, I feel yeah. like it's, if you look it, at
2: screenshots it just looks like you're peering through like maybe like an old folks home or something <laughs> <Just> <laughs> through like computer graphics uh of the of the early 90s again i don't think we're selling this game <laughs> no sorry.
0: just stick with the music get the most out of that and you know so if the you
2: next find- track <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's let's move it along let's keep moving along Uh, This is Gulag, composed by Stefan Peek for the OPL2.
0: That was Gulag, composed
2: by Stefan Peak for KGB, and that was the OPL2 version. There's something in this track that I love so much. It's that section where everything, all the the percussion kind of drops out. Again, a lot of interesting instruments kind of going on. Um, A little repetitive in the beginning, but That's kind of part of his style where um, it's almost, you know, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of a slowed down um, Jesper Kite. I can see that. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, a lot of his music has um, these very like experimental um, aspects to it that are uh, that remind me a lot of um, Kite stuff, but just at a like a half speed. You know what I mean? Um, and just a little bit more like of a like a bouncing l- lounge kind of lounge sound to it but that spot where the um the percussion drops out and you get the it's almost like um what i feel like he's emulating a um an orchestra where just the the strings are playing like this you know back and yeah, forth yeah, yeah. and then like out of nowhere, like a spotlight hits this like electric guitar player and he's, just blah, 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 you know, uh, I like that a lot. I think that's so cool. Yeah, it's, I think a nice contrast. I think that's my favorite part
0: of the song. And I actually towards the end of that part, I was getting more like an accordion sound, like in the sense of the tone oh, yeah. of the instrument, which is kind of hard to pull off on the OPL too. So props for getting this like really like. For a second there you kind of forget that you're listening to fm <laughs> yeah
2: yeah no and and i get that too because it's not really like a grungy uh electric guitar there's not a lot of like um like reverb or distortion on it um but then like halfway through that solo it just turns into it like a like a almost like a polka solo <laughs> you know like <laughs> it, so i i do get that um that kind of accordion vibe too but um really cool track that actually kind of wraps up the show we went on pretty long for this um so uh hopefully you guys are are sticking with us and still listening <laughs> today <laughs> we covered kgb or conspiracy on dos and the amiga version composed by stefan peak uh with the ported sound over to the amiga or the unique uh track that we heard by alexander Um uh, thank you guys so much for listening
0: yeah, if you want more on the show, check us out online at pixelatedaudio.com for show notes and the track list. And we can also be found on
2: Twitter at Pixelated Audio. Yes, if you want to... Uh leave comments on this episode if you like the show you like what you hear uh you hate us i mean whatever you whatever you want um leave us some feedback we always appreciate that and we always take the time to read everything Um, we might not always reply to you immediately but um everything we read gene and i discuss everything you know like we get recommendations and and like suggestions and hey guys just want to say i really like what you're doing or something you know that is so important to us so we really appreciate everybody's comments as far um if you want to chat with us and another group of awesome like-minded people come into um our discord and come chat with us and uh, everybody else in there uh, there's a lot of just wonderful people that um are are just as passionate about we uh about video game music as we are and so um would appreciate if you you check it out
0: yeah, and uh, you're going to find all sorts of game music posted. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are. There's always something that comes through that you've never heard of. I think that's my favorite part of the Discord is like, yeah. I, I consider myself like pretty well versed in somebody's like, this is brand new to me. I don't know this composer. I don't know this yeah, game. Sometimes exactly. I don't even know the system.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I do want to also give a shout out to VGM Rips. You know, we talked about Kaminati uh, who did some extra research on this. And so we appreciate that, you know, and very sample accurate um, rips that we can play that are very high quality. And uh, that community there, if you ever want to learn about ripping, there is a channel within our server that, you know a lot of the vgm rips folks are there and you can come chat with them they can provide a lot of insight so definitely check it out and also VGMrips.net.
3: yeah
0: yeah yeah and uh you know as our resident opl2 lover i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna promote a few of our past episodes so if you can't get enough of that opl2 sound check out some of these ones 125 harold hardtooth our mascot uh, unofficially, uh, <laughs> episode, <laughs> episode 76 Outzone with Tatsuya Uemura That's, uh, I think, an arcade game, right? And it uses yep. 3812. Outzone, yep. yeah. And episode 63 Illusion Blaze with Sei Hung No. That is a Korean PC game,
2: I believe. Yes, yep, yep. So, That's uh, actually one of my favorite soundtracks of all time uh, using the OPL2.
0: Yeah, there's like a whole subset of Korean PC games I'd like to shine a little bit more of a spotlight on, uh, either in expansion packs or in other episodes. Of course, yeah.
2: That's the idea. (laughs) We have have a lot of recommendations that we're going to try to get through in the rest of this um, disaster of a year, but uh, uh, we got some good stuff coming. So keep an eye out on the feed. We have one more track taken out the show. This is called The Machine. Buzz by stefan peak this is also using the opl2 it's a really awesome track thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you back in a few weeks for the next episode